Happy Tuesday, and thanks for coming back with us here on the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. Oh, and Chris, this is a really cool minute. I enjoy I enjoy this yeah. minute because it's so nerdy. There's so <laughs> much going on. I mean, it's it's drama and stuff like that, but there's so much going on. There's so many things to talk about, mostly with uh, one of my favorite topics on Apollo and, uh, and 1960s. It's 1970, but it's 1960s <laughs> technology, uh, how the world has changed since then. We're talking about uh, the telemetry of what, what it takes to get data back from, you know, the other side of the moon to, to Earth and all the all the parts and things that are that are in here of one of which is or a few of which are the uh, biomedical telemetry sensors yes yes um, so so i was gonna say you know it uh, you know one of the questions that when i when i interviewed uh, captain level i had to ask was all right did that really go down <laughs> you know because <laughs> that seems pretty pretty wild and uh in in a way uh well yeah it did but not as dramatic fashion as you see in the film. Uh, you know, he didn't go ripping them off because the flight surgeon upset him. Uh, he did take them off. Um, it was just more of a comfort thing and basically never told anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's pretty much if, if you go and uh, I would bring this up all the time, but the Apollo, the Apollo 13 flight journal, that's out there from the NASA history office has all the, you know, all the transcripts, every, every voice thing. And, and none of that, yeah, he wasn't really uh, cursing them out about how he's sick of tired of all you know. It, it, that's that's not how it was. They had what you have to think of is they had three guys in a lunar module, and unlike unlike today where you can wear headphones and things like that and everything's tiny, everything's little. These these um these biomedical sensors were these big clunky. I mean, it was it was like the wire wrap that's if you if you get in into your car and look underneath the dashboard, those big. Uh, 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 those big wire uh, harnesses that go through that they had to wear that all the time strapped to their bodies and uh it, it's not very comfortable they had a um, i'm just looking at a, a picture i'll post a picture of what they had to wear but it's one two three four five six seven eight sensors uh, taped onto their body just to do the ekg and uh there was a thing there was a uh a, a, what they called a sternal harness, which basically went down the middle of your sternum, the top of your sternum and the bottom of your sternum. And then you had these axillary harnesses, which are these big uh, suction cup looking things with tape on them that were under your armpits. And so imagine, you know, after about the fifth day of having them, <laughs> I would really get a little <laughs> tired. Um, but all that went through, uh, I mean, it, it was just, and technologically, it was a fantastic thing. The whole, the system uh, started development in 1962. And uh, what they what they did was they broke down all of these uh, different uh, data points and turned them into channels that they could multiplex. And over much, much in the way that you have a multiplex line on a telephone system where you can send several signals over the same line. Um, but they managed to, to fit on a single S-band channel uh, they managed to fit 800 data points that would flow through and go to a uh, mission control from, you know, from the moon. 
which was a fantastic feat in itself. Now, it didn't go very fast, and uh, yeah, hopefully you're sitting down when you hear this, but the data rate was 4,800 kilobyte, kilobyte, which is, you know, if, if you ever had back in the day in the 1980s, if you had a Hayes modem, uh, if, if you had a Hayes modem that was a 9600 baud modem and barely filled your screen, you know, back when the internet was just being born, uh, you were going twice as fast as NASA at that point. So, you know, it, it was very slow. The data rate was not, you know, not anything to write home about. But uh, all of these things, you know, all these data points from three astronauts required wires that had to go back to this uh, electronic box that was, you know, it had a signal conditioner. It would, it would mix all the, it would multiplex all the channels and then send it back out on a telemetry stream over their S-band antenna. And uh, with all these wires floating around in the capsule or in the, in the lunar module, they just decided uh, they, uh, well, this is at, at 122 hours into the mission. <laughs> this is what uh, Lovell was telling the Capcom, who at the time was Vance Brand. He said, Vance, you might be interested in that the, the way we've got thing, things arranged here. We have one helmet attached to the comm lines, attached to the LEM ho hoses, and the guy who's got duty wears the helmet so the other people are free to maneuver. So, when, <laughs> so that way they didn't have all these wires snaking around the, cap, the capsule, but the side effect of it was they didn't need their biomedical sensors because that would have just been, uh, you know, like double Dutch uh, jump rope. So... <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, um, but it's you know it's uh, it, it, they they did what they needed to do, and one of the things I mean, the flight surgeon didn't need to know moment by moment how their EKGs were. He could hear them, and uh, you know if they needed to, they had thermometers on board. They could take their temperatures. That's how they knew that uh, Fredo had a had a fever. But uh, yeah, this that was a very a very practical thing that. Uh, you, you have to determine what's important and what's not important, and knowing what your uh, uh, your, your fibrillation, your uh, your uh, cardiac rate was at the time. Uh, pulse was not a big deal to to getting home safely, but uh, communicating <laughs> with Earth was. Well, and, and you know, like you said, they they didn't even plan to be in the LEM. They couldn't have had Swaggart's stuff up anyway. He had nowhere to plug in in the LEM. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was, so. <laughs> yeah, it was just just kind of kind of pointless having this uh, harness coming out the back of your uh, your suit and <laughs> no place to go. Um, the yeah the, the the funny thing was that uh, Fredo reported during the flight that he really enjoyed having the biomedical sensors on because it had a little five volt DC to DC converter uh, in the middle of the back and it kind it. It was warm. It was like taking a you know a shorted at bat, or if you ever held onto a, a laptop charger, just having a laptop charger against your back when the rest of the <laughs> when the rest of the ship is thirty eight degrees, it was pretty nice. So um, I you know there wasn't they had very good reasons other than they weren't throwing a hissy fit <laughs> in space <laughs> at that at that point in time. So uh, just a a nice little nice little bit, and it's it's amazing thinking about how they had to come up with all these. I mean, these things had to be invented in 1962. They had to put it all together in 1962 so that by the time of Apollo 8 in 1968, it all worked. They could all, they could test it out with, uh, you know, with Frank Borman's crew and make sure that uh, they, they could transmit. And the idea of sending uh, that, that much data from a quarter of a million miles away, even at 4,800 baud, is, uh, it's still quite impressive that you can get that, yeah. that kind of information from that far. Well, it's a it's a feat by even today's standards to get something from the moon. 
Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I mean that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean you look at uh, yeah, things that when uh, I mean we're have, you know we have uh, several extra solar uh, satellites right now like Pioneer Ten or the Voyager series uh, that are out past uh, Pluto, and we get you know the the stream is measured in uh, hundreds of bits per second. Uh, and that's that's quite a that's quite a feat to keep you know j- just to get the power levels to to broadcast it this far to us. Um, you give up speed for uh, distance, and uh, you know all these things have to be have to be thought out in advance because you can't go out and fix it when when it's billions of miles from from the nearest <laughs> repair shop. Um, it uh, yeah it it's just it's a beautiful thing. It, the, it, when you look at these, if you go to museums and you look in an Apollo and you see all these like clunky devices and you think, oh my gosh, this is really Stone Age stuff. At the time, it was. Um, you know, leaps and bounds over anything that had, oh. you know, this is, this is 20 years after World War II. Yeah. And, you know, this you look at Rogers stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look inside of a, a B-17 and then look inside of an Apollo and you say, oh, okay, there are several decades of, uh, you know, advancements on, on these things. Everything, everything that we take for granted technological achievements that, that, you know, the next thing's going to happen. But at the time, this was all new stuff. Um, the idea of being able to wear, uh, equipment that, that was that small, like you know, like the Plantronics uh, headsets, that was an amazing accomplishment. Thanks to uh, transistorization, you could you didn't have to wear gigantic, uh, uh, or, you know, orange cans on your head. To, <laughs> uh, soup cans, I think was the phrase. Yeah, you don't have to wear big soup cans. You could just wear something in your ear. You could you know you could talk into a microphone that was uh, smaller than your finger. Uh, yeah, these are all amazing accomplishments and. Uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting seeing, as we're recording this, we haven't seen the new uh, crewed Dragon spacecraft that's going to be launching at the end of uh, May of 2020, or planned on launching at the end of May of 2020. You see the spacesuits that they're wearing on those things. It looks like something you'd wear on a motorcycle. It's like a, a modified motorcycle helmet and a very, very thin-looking um, spacesuit. Uh, but it has, you know, it has all the telemetry available to it as well. Uh, it's just a lot smaller sensors, a lot less power requirements. And, uh, you know, the result is a lot more room in the capsule because you don't have to worry about cooling or uh, massive power requirements of the equipment involved. Um, uh, and I think it's really important that we look back and see how far we've come just by just, you know, just by seeing this, <laughs> the old equipment versus the new equipment. But still, at the time, an amazing uh, an amazing ac- accomplishment and achievement because they were working in the in the dark here. You, you, you know how how could you know you had to make it sturdy, you had to make it easy for somebody to uh, uh, to work with in the uh, close confines of a capsule, and you had to make sure that it was rugged enough that if they banged into a wall or something like that, it wasn't going to snap in half or fray a wire. I was always amazed by the people who built the suits that went down to the lunar surface. Yeah. Um, because you have to plan for everything. I mean, you have to have a suit that in itself is an ecosystem, basically. You yeah. know, uh, and then on top of it, you know, what if the guy, which happened on Apollo, they fell out, fell over? <laughs> you know, I mean, um, you know, you couldn't, you know, rip a, a hole in this thing or something. And uh, uh, but yet, it's got to be flexible enough for them to move around a little bit and pick some stuff up and. and do their job on the moon um you know that always amazed me that uh you know you 
you had to build something that you could test it, but the real, let's face it, the real first test is up there. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's when you find out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and it's not something you can test in parts. I mean, you, you could send up different, we, and we do that, we, we send up different parts of, uh, of equipment to, to check things out. But mostly all of this was all up testing. You know, when the crew of Apollo 7 got into that ship and they plugged everything in and went into space, they were the first guys to use that particular uh, spacesuit, the, A- the A7L. A7L? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, being able to use use that spacesuit. And there there's several parts of that suit. It's it's like you've got you've got the outer, uh, that, that white uh, garment that, that fits on top. And then underneath you've got a blue garment that is the... Um, it's the airtight one. It's the one that keeps, you know, that that's your pressure suit that, that you're wearing. And you've also got a, a cooling system that's composed of a bunch of really tiny tubes that are that's pumping coolant around all of your body so that you don't sweat yourself to death in, a, in an airtight environment. Uh, that technology to come up with all that and be able to get, and it's all, you know, made by hand. I mean, these were, these were all built by... Um, literally little old ladies in new in new hampshire who uh you know they they hired the they hired women because they had smaller fingers to get to the smaller parts of you know sewing uh the interiors of gloves and things um it's just incredible all the 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 army of people that worked on all these things and made sure that they had they that it worked right every time yeah Um, was it over four hundred thousand? yeah yeah it's it's stunning i mean it's uh and they had such a it's it's hard to describe the scale that they had such a variety and it is it is like you know world war ii production they had such a variety of skills that were needed from sewing to uh biomechanics to uh, physics to uh understanding things like uh how how the electronics would fit in with the uh with the cloth and 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 things like that where where the holes needed to be to uh to attach you know attach points for stuff, so you get the sensors in and still manage to uh, uh, get the data out without breaking a seal. Uh, it's just fantastic uh, that the coordination happened between all these different uh, subsystems that that people could, you know, come up with, come up with a suit that was literally designed by a committee. Um, it's it's amazing, and I'm still it, it it never fails to boggle the mind as to getting it all together and making it all work in the time frame required. Um, I'm, I'm lucky if I remember to, uh, get, <laughs> get my laundry done before I need new shirts. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, one of the, again, I can't stress enough going out and visiting the Apollo, uh, flight journal, the Apollo 13 flight journal. You can watch every, every second and, and there's, there's complete, uh, commentary with it that explains how things work, why why things happen the way they happen in much greater detail than we do on these shows. And it's about the real show. So you can, it's about the real thing that happened, the historical event. So there's things when you're watching on, uh, uh, you know, when you watch Apollo 13 that are stretched out like this particular minute with uh, the supposed, you know, mutiny um, that never really happened. But the, the drama, the drama of the historical event is real enough. I think uh, reading, reading the flight journal and understanding minute by minute what was going on and what the issues were uh, is just as fascinating a, a thing as a, as the movie, but the movie's good too. I enjoy oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I, uh, I watched it again last night and uh, it was, it still holds. I, I keep thinking that when I, when I take apart movies like this, that I'm never going to be 
enjoying it. But yeah, watching it again last night, I was just as enthralled as the first time I saw it, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much where we're at right now. Uh, uh, tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about this uh this uh, minor mutiny, minor medical mutiny, I think is the phrase. Uh, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, for folks who would like to talk about this more today, you can reach out to us on social media, all the usual places, uh, Apollo 13 Minutes uh, Mission Control on Facebook or at Apollo 13 Minute, Apollo 13 Minute on Twitter. Uh, pick up, please subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, we're getting to some really good parts and we are going to have some really good guests coming up. Can't, can't tell you who right now, but there's, there's a bunch coming up and, uh, they're, they're pretty much, I think they're pretty much as interesting as we are, Chris. So I I uh, think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They they might have something to add. So, uh, (laughs) but, but check back with us in future ones. The best way to do that is to subscribe, go to, uh, whatever your podcatcher is, you know, uh, Apple podcasts or, or Google play and, uh, subscribe and we'll get, uh, episodes to you hot and fresh every Monday through Friday. So I don't want you to miss any of these later episodes because we've got some really good stuff coming up. Promise, really. <laughs> I I, I'm so excited. I can't. Well, we'll, we'll be fine. We, we got lots to talk about in between then, uh, between now and then. But uh, definitely come back, please. But uh, it looks like we're coming up on. Uh, uh, looks like yeah, loss of signal for sure in 30 seconds. So we will see you here next time tomorrow on the Apollo 13 minute.